أعوذ بالله من الشيطان اللعين الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to another episode of the life of Prophet Muhammad. So in our discussions, we've reached the fifth year after the Hijrah, and we began a discussion on the battle of Khandaq or the battle of Al-Ahzab. Now, of course, these, this, these two names are referring to the same incident. As we mentioned, it's called the battle of Al-Ahzab because of the number of parties that came together, the groups that came together to form an alliance to destroy the Prophet and his followers. So from the perspective of his adversaries, it's called the battle of the Ahzab because you have a number of groups that formed a coalition to uh, mount one final attack on the Prophet to pull all of their resources together, together to pull all of their manpower together, and to obliterate the Prophet and his followers. And it's called the Battle of Khandaq in reference to the military strategy that was employed by the Prophet to defend the city of Medina. So the Battle of Khandaq and the Battle of Al-Ahzab are referring to uh, the same uh, military confrontation. Now, just a quick recap. So this battle took place uh, in the fifth year after the Hijrah. And of course, there might be some disputes regarding the date, but it seems that uh, the stronger opinion is that this took place in the fifth year after the Hijrah. As you recall, brothers and sisters, the Prophet had banished Banu Nadir. Now, if you remember, there are three main tribes that were residing in Medina uh, prior to the, the Holy Prophet's arrival. You have the, the tribe of Banu Qaynuqa' and they were banished. You have the tribe of Banu Nadir, and these, this Jewish tribe actually tried to assassinate the Prophet. So the Prophet he uh, banished them. Now after the, and, and this means that there was only one main Jewish tribe that remained in Medina, and this was Banu Quraidha. So when Banu Nadir was expelled, when they were expelled from Medina, the leaders, the chiefs of this tribe, they went to Mecca and they met with the leaders of Quraysh. They met with the likes of Abu Sufyan and other prominent leaders in Mecca. And what they were trying to do was essentially incite them and motivate them to wage a war against the Prophet. They essentially said that we have a common enemy. This man, this Muhammad has banished us. He's created a lot of social problems. He's created a lot of economic problems for you. So we have a common enemy. Let's join forces. 
Now, meanwhile, Banu, Banu Quraydha, which is the remaining Jewish tribe in Medina, they made a promise to the Prophet that they would be impartial, that they would not interfere or get involved uh, if there happens to be a conflict with the Prophet and his enemies. Now, unfortunately, Banu Quraydha, they also violated the treaty and the contra, the social contract that they had with the Prophet and they allied with Quraysh. So now the Prophet is dealing with a Jewish tribe that is within Medina and the allied forces are marching towards Medina. So now the Prophet has an external enemy and he has an internal enemy. So the Prophet has to keep an eye on Banu Quraydha because they've essentially They've explicitly expressed that they're not committed to the, the contract and the treaty anymore. So the Prophet now has enemies that he has to confront on both sides, external and internal. Now to take up arms against the Ahzab, against the Quraysh, the, the other uh, outlying uh, tribes, to defend Medina against this massive tribe and the historians place the number of fighters who are in the Ahzab at around 10,000 and the Muslims are roughly 3,000 so they're hugely outnumbered Salman al-Farisi as we mentioned in our previous episode he suggests to the Prophet that we should build a trench you know this is the way that we fend off our enemies in these situations. We build a trench. Now, the trench was only built from the north because, as we had mentioned, Medina enjoys natural protection from the, from the mountains, from the mountain range, the mountain ranges and the volcanic rock. So really the only way to enter Medina is from the north. So Medina enjoys is geographically blessed in the sense that it has this protection from all sides except from the north. So the Muslims begin digging the trench uh, from the north to prevent uh, this invasion. Now, Al-Qummi, he reports uh, the following incident. And now, you know, in this episode, I want to give a little bit more detail about you know, the digging of the trench and some of the conversations that happen between the Prophet and his companions. And, you know, this is also another uh, opportunity for us to appreciate the unique piety of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib السلام, as compared to the other companions of the Prophet. So Al-Qummi, he says, وَقَدْ صَرَّحَ الْقُمِّي بِأَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ this report highlights that the Prophet ﷺ was actually the first one to begin digging the trench. So the Prophet didn't just order his companions to dig the trench. The Prophet ﷺ, he took the initiative. He was the one who began uh, digging the trench. And this shows you the leadership style of the Prophet, that he he led by example. So he's the first one 
to, to get down and dirty and to dig uh, this trench. And he begins, so he, the Prophet assigned a part to the Muhajireen and the Ansar. So the Prophet grouped the Muslims and he assigned them different areas to dig. And the Prophet began digging in the area that was designated for the Muhajireen because the Prophet ﷺ is one of the Muhajireen. وَأَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ يَنْقُلَ التُّرَابَ مِنَ الْحُفْرَةِ Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib is taking the dirt out of the trench. So he's assisting the Prophet in removing the dirt. So here you see you know, the two leaders of Islam. You see the Prophet and Ali ibn Abi Talib actively involved in the digging of the trench. And the Prophet didn't just spend, spend a few minutes as a symbolic gesture. The narration says the Prophet dug and he dug The Prophet dug so much that he began to sweat profusely and he became tired. The Prophet exhausted himself. And he was reciting a line, he would chant, you know, sometimes when you work, you know, especially if you look at, you know, uh, construction workers, sometimes they'll have a song or, or they'll uh, repeat a chant as they're working. So the Prophet, he starts to recite or starts to chant the following sentence and his companions, they follow along with him, they repeat. So the Prophet, as he's digging the trench, he says, لا عيش إلا عيش الآخرة اللهم اغفر الأنصار والمهاجرة He says, there is no life but the life of the hereafter. O oh Allah, forgive the Ansar and the Muhajireen. And of course in Arabic uh, it rhymes, but this is uh, the meaning of that chant uh, that the Prophet uh, uh, would utter as he was digging. Now, as you can imagine, the companions are seeing the Prophet exert himself. You know, he's their leader, and he's literally performing this manual labor. Falamma, the narration continues, Falamma nadara nasu ila rasulillahi yahfir, ijtahadu fil hafr. When the companions saw that the Prophet was digging, and he was exerting himself, they began to join. They joined the Prophet. التراب, and they would haul the dirt out of the trench. When they saw that the Prophet was the first one to dig, and he was working tirelessly, he was exerting himself, in the digging of the trench, on the second day, the companions started digging early. You know, they were following the example of the Prophet. And the Prophet ﷺ, he had a period of rest. So the Prophet spent the entire day digging and he rested in Masjid al-Fat, which was nearby where they were digging the trench. There's another narration 
that tells us from Al-Qadhi al-Nu'man, he says, وَكَانَ عَلِيٌّ صَلَوَاتُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَشِيَعَتُهُ أَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ عَنَاءً Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib and his followers, you know, you have, you know, the likes of, of Abu Dhar and Ammar, those who are known as the, the followers, the devotees of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, they were the ones who were working the hardest. Al-Qadhi he says, we have many narrations that mention how hard Ali and his Shia and his followers were working when it came to the digging of the trench. Now from these narrations, there are a few important lessons that we can draw. Number one, we see that the Prophet ﷺ and Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, they participated in the digging of the trench. You know, there are many leaders who are good at just delegating. And of course, it's important to know when to delegate. But it's also very inspiring, especially in times of difficulty, to see your leader, especially if, if you're in a position of leadership, to also be down in the trenches. So the Prophet ﷺ and Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, because they are both leaders of the Muslims, you see that they, they lead with their words, and more importantly, they lead through their actions. And this is an important lesson in leadership, that it's not enough to just talk. If you truly want to inspire your followers to rise to the occasion, to do extraordinary things, you have to be someone who's the first to act. You have to inspire them through your actions. And this is precisely what the Prophet did. Number two, look at the wisdom of the Prophet. The Prophet ﷺ reminds the Muslims of their ultimate goal. What is the goal of building this trench? What is the goal of this confrontation with the Ahzab? You know, what is this all about? The Prophet, he reminds his companions that everything that we're doing is actually for the Akhirah. When he says La, when he, that chant, La Aisha illa Aisha al-Akhirah, there is no life except the life of the hereafter. So even when it comes to preparation for military conflict, the Prophet ﷺ, he makes it a point to remind them that we are not fighting against the allied forces for the sake of dunya. We have to remember that our ultimate objective, the, the main purpose of what we're doing is that we want to build our akhirah, that we're doing this in hopes of building our akhirah. So we have to have the hereafter in mind. We have to have that, have that vision and that foresight to know that every movement, everything that we do needs to be calibrated in a way where we're striving for the great reward in the hereafter. Number three, you see that the Prophet's initiative, you know, the proactiveness of the Prophet and his hard work 
inspired some of the companions to start digging early the next day. And this shows us, as I've already alluded to, you know, leaders have the power to inspire and to energize their followers. There's nothing more inspirational than seeing your leader with you in the trenches, getting down and dirty with you, and doing that manual labor. There's something very humble, humbling and inspiring about it. It's humbling for the leader, and it's inspiring for the followers. So if we want to inspire people, if we want to energize them, if we want them to do something, we should be the first ones to do it. We should not call people to take action while we are sitting back and doing nothing. And number four, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib and his followers, they worked the hardest when it came to digging the trench. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to gain the honor of emulating the Prophet's hard work. And this shows you that if the Prophet is working hard towards something, it means that that, that action has value. If the Prophet is ignoring something, if, if the Prophet is turning his attention away from something, that usually means that this is something that doesn't have value. So Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib and the followers of Ali ibn Abi Talib, they recognize that if the Prophet is giving something his attention and he's putting effort on something, this means that this action is noble and we should emulate the Prophet and we should mirror the effort and the hard work uh, that he's putting into it. There's another narration and this narration truly highlights a great fadila for Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib. And this narration is from Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, the great Sahabi, the great companion of the Prophet. And of course, this name is very well known to Muslims, especially to the Shia, who know that this companion of the Prophet was blessed with a lengthy life, with a long life, so much so that he had the opportunity to meet with Imam al-Baqir So he lived at the time of the Prophet. He witnessed the life of Ali ibn Abi Talib. He lived during the time of Imam al-Hassan, Imam al-Husayn, Imam Zainul Abidin, and he witnessed, you know, some of the earlier years of. Imam Muhammad al-Baqir Truly a blessed life. And his life was not just blessed because he lived a long life, but he lived a life where he was always uh, a devout follower of the Prophet and his immaculate family. Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, he reports, كُنْتُ مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ So Jabir is saying that I was with the Prophet I was with the Messenger of God digging the trench. So Jabir was one of those companions who was there with Rasulullah in the trench. And he says, وَقَدْ حَفَرَ النَّاسِ And of course, people joined in. They saw the Prophet digging and they joined the Prophet in the digging of the trench. وَحَفَرَ عَلِيٌ And Ali ibn Abi Talib was also there with us. And Ali was also digging the trench. But the Prophet said something to Ali that he did not say to other companions. There were many who were digging, 
the trench. But of course, everyone's level of ikhlas is at a different level. You know, you might have 50 people who are standing for prayer with the Prophet. But this doesn't mean that the salah of each of these individuals is equal. The, the quality of that prayer is going to depend on the person's ma'rifah of Allah. It's going to depend on the degree of their sincerity and so on. So there are many factors that, uh, that come into play. So the companions are digging the trench and Ali is also digging the trench. But are they equal? Here the Prophet ﷺ, he says, and, and Jabir is reporting this, فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ The Prophet says to Ali ibn Abi Talib, بِأَبِي مَنْ يَحْفِرْ وَجِبْرَائِيلِ يَكْنُسُ التُّرَابَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ وَمِيكَائِيلِ يُعِينُهُ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ يُعِينُ أَحَدًا قَبْلَهُ مِنَ الْخَلْقِ It's truly a narration that makes the hairs on your neck stand. The Prophet, he says about Ali ibn Abi Talib. The Prophet sees that Ali is digging, exerting so much effort, sweating, tiring himself in the digging of the trench. And the Prophet says, May my father be ransomed for the one who digs while Jibra'il removes the dirt in front of him. And Mikail aids him. And he has never, and he meaning Mikail, has never aided or helped any of God's creation before this, before this incident. And then Jabr continues, and he says that the Prophet he turns to Uthman ibn Affan. The Prophet says to Uthman, and by the way, Uthman ibn Affan, as we've mentioned in our earlier discussions, that Uthman was an Umayyad. And Uthman was probably one of the most wealthy companions of the Prophet. He came from wealth and privilege. He hails from an aristocratic family. So someone like Uthman is not used to manual labor. All his life he's had servants and maids. So the Prophet ﷺ, he sees that Uthman is not digging. And he says to Uthman, Ihfir. He says, dig, dig with us. فَغَضِبَ Uthman. Uthman became angry. When the Prophet told him to dig, it seems that he was not happy with that command. He was annoyed. He was bothered. وقال, and then Uthman says, لا يرضى محمد أن أسلمنا على يده حتى يأمرنا بالكد. Uthman begins to complain and he says that it seems that Muhammad and the fact that he refers to Rasulullah as Muhammad is, is definitely problematic. That's a red flag there. This is Allah doesn't even call him, you know, Ya Muhammad. So the fact that he uses the Prophet's name like this is 
definitely inappropriate. So he says, Muhammad is not satisfied that we became Muslims at his hands. He also want us to to- he wants us to toil and work hard. So Uthman is it's as if Uthman is saying that, you know, we we've done you a favor, O Muhammad, by joining you. You know, we've put ourselves in this precarious situation, and on top of that, on top of joining you, you want us to do manual labor for you. When Uthman made this comment. The narration says that Allah reveals an ayah of the Qur'an. Some ulama, they say that the following Qur'anic verse was revealed about Uthman ibn Affan, Surat Al-Hujurat, ayah 17. Allah says, يَمُنُّونَ عَلَيْكَ أَنْ أَسْلَمُوا They consider it a favor to you that they have accepted. So Surah Al-Hujurat, Surah 49, Ayah 17. يَمُنُّونَ عَلَيْكَ أَنْ أَسْلَمُوا They, meaning the likes of Uthman, they consider it a favor to you that they have accepted Islam. قُلْ O Muhammad, say to them, قُلْ لَا تَمُنُّوا عَلَيَّ إِسْلَامَكُمْ do not consider your conversion to Islam as a favor to me. Why? Rather, Allah has conferred a favor upon you that He has guided you to the faith. If you should be truthful, if you are truly believers, this is the mindset that you should have. You should not think that you've done Allah or His Messenger a favor by joining Islam. Ali ibn Ibrahim in his tafsir, he notes, he says, the verse that I just cited, يَمُنُّونَ عَلَيْكَ أَنْ أَسْلَمُوا Ali ibn Ibrahim, he says this ayah نَزَلَتْ فِي عُثْمَانِ يَوْمَ الْخَنْدَقِ This ayah was revealed about Uthman on the day of the trench during the battle of Khandaq as they were preparing for the battle of Khandaq. Why was it revealed? وَذَلِكَ أَنَّهُ مَرَّ بِعَمَّارَ بْنَ يَاسِرَ Ali ibn Ibrahim, he says that this ayah was revealed because Uthman was passing by Ammar ibn Yasir. And Ammar, of course, Ali and his Shias, as we mentioned, they were the ones who were working. They were the ones who were working the hardest in digging the trench. So Uthman passes by uh, Ammar. وَقَدْ ارْتَفَعَ الْغُبَارُ مِنَ الْحَفْرِ so as you can imagine, Ammar is digging and the dust is rising. When the dust was rising, and, of course, and Uthman was not digging, فَوَضَعَ عُثْمَانُ كَمَّهُ عَلَىٰ أَنْفِهِ وَمَرُ Uthman was covering his face. So not only was he not participating in the digging, he did not even want to get any of that dust on his face. He didn't want to inhale any 
of that dust. And this is where when Ammar ibn Yasir saw uh, that Uthman was behaving like this and he was not joining in on the digging of the trench and he was acting as though he was you know too 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 much he was too he was an elitist that he's an aristocrat and it it's not befitting for someone like him to get his hands dirty dirty uh, Ammar recited the following lines of poetry he says, لا يستوي من يعمر المساجد يدأب فيه قائما وقاعدا ومن يرى عن الغبار حائدا Ammar says, the one who is busy building a house of God and striving and working hard, standing up and sitting down is not like the one who who is escaping from the dust and the dirt. Now, Uthman ibn Affan, he hears this, and he knows that Ammar ibn Yasir is indirectly criticizing him for not helping. فَالْتَفَتَ إِلَيْهِ Uthman. Uthman turned to Ammar ibn Yasir. And of course, Ammar ibn Yasir was, uh, he was, he came from a very poor family. Uh, his parents were not from among the aristocrats. فَقَالْ يَبْنَ Uthman insulted him. He was space, he said to him, O son of the black woman, are you referring to me? So, Ammar ibn Yasir, ثُمَّ أَتَى رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ Uthman goes to the Prophet and he complains that, listen, I didn't join Islam to be insulted. He felt insulted by, by, Ammar, by Ammar ibn Yasir. فَقَالَ لَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ says to Uthman, قَدْ أَقَلْتُكَ إِسْلَامَكَ فَذَهَبْ That listen, if you don't want to be Muslim anymore, you can leave. But do not try to make it sound like the Prophet is now beholden to you because you became Muslim. So Uthman comes to the Prophet and says, Listen, O Muhammad, Ya Rasulullah, I, we did not become Muslims to be insulted. So basically, you need to have a conversation with, with Ammar. And as I said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in response to Uthman's comment, and in response to his unwillingness to participate in the digging of the trench, where he considers it enough of a favor that he did for the Prophet, that I joined Islam and that's enough. I shouldn't be required to do anything beyond that. And this is where Allah says, أَسْلَمُوا They consider it a favor to you, that they have accepted Islam. Say to them, don't consider your Islam as a favor to me. Rather, Allah has conferred a favor upon you, that He has guided you 
to faith if you should be truthful. Indeed, Allah knows the unseen of the heavens and the earth and Allah is seeing of what you do. Now, when it comes to these narrations, there are a number of important points for us to reflect upon. If we go back to that comment that the Prophet made to Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, when the Prophet he said to Ali, where he said about Ali, بِأَبِي مَنْ يَحْفِرْ وَجِبْرَائِيلِ يَكْنُسُ التُّرَابَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ وَمِيكَائِيلِ يُعِينُهُ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ يُعِينُ أَحَدًا قَبْلَهُ مِنَ الْخَلْقِ The Prophet says to Ali, May my father be ransomed for the one who digs while Jibra'il removes the dirt in front of him and while Mikail aids him and assists him while Mikail has never assisted any of God's creation before this. The Prophet ﷺ, he says, May my father be ransomed for the one who digs, meaning Ali ibn Abi Talib. The Prophet ﷺ, this statement of the Prophet highlights the lofty position of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib in the eyes of Rasulullah. There is not a single instance where the Prophet says, to any of his companions, may my father be sacrificed for you. Of course, brothers and sisters, we know that our parents are the most important people in our lives. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us in the Quran of the esteemed position of our parents. Your Lord has ordained that you should worship none other than Him and that you should be kind to your parents. Allah mentions kindness to parents alongside Tawheed. So this is the, the respect that we have to show our parents. And, the, and this, is, this is a reference to all parents. Imagine the parents of the Prophet. You know, these are not ordinary parents. This is the father of Sayyid al-Mursaleen. And our scholars say that we have a difference of opinion regarding who Abdullah is, Abdullah the father of the Prophet. There is no doubt that, at least according to our theology, there is no doubt that he was mu'min, that he was a believer, that he was a monotheist. But even more than that, some scholars even consider him a successor of prophets, one of the awsiyat. In any case, there is no doubt that the father of Rasulullah was a great personality. He was a holy personality. And for the Prophet to say, may my father be sacrificed for Ali ibn Abi Talib highlights how unique Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib is. The same parents who you should be willing to sacrifice everything for. The Prophet says, May my father, Abdullah, be ransomed and sacrificed for the one who digs. And then the Prophet 
he mentions that while Ali ibn Abi Talib is digging, Jibra'il and Mikail are assisting him. And Jibra'il and Mikail are not ordinary angels. Jibra'il and Mikail are among the greatest of Allah's angels. And you see, according to this narration, the Prophet is telling us that they are essentially at the service of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib. Now look at the humility that the angels show to Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib and contrast that with what the angels say when Adam alayhi salam is appointed as Khalifatullah. What do they say when the announcement is made regarding Adam in the Quran? وَإِذْ قَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةٍ Verse 30 of Surah Al-Baqarah When Allah declares to the angels that I am placing a vicegerent upon the earth قَالُوا أَتَجْعَلُوا فِيهَا مَنْ يُفْسِدُ فِيهَا وَيَسْفِكُ الدِّمَاءِ Are you going to place on it, on the earth, one who will spread corruption, who will be mischievous and spill blood? So you contrast that reaction with the utter humility that Jibra'il and Mikail show to Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib. Furthermore, we see that the narration tells us that Mikail, the angel Mikail, has never offered assistance to any of God's creation before this moment. And this shows us this is absolutely one of the unique fadail, one of the unique virtues of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, that one of God's greatest angels is seeking nearness to Allah. And of course, everything that the malaika do, they do it to attain nearness to Allah. They do it because they know that this particular action is pleasing to Allah. So here you have Mikail seeking nearness to Allah through the act of providing support and help to Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib. And then finally, not finally, but another point that I want to mention is that the Prophet, when the Prophet ordered Uthman to dig, the Prophet did not intend, the Prophet was not trying to insult Uthman. If the Prophet is commanding you to do something, the Prophet is ultimately inviting you towards an act of worship. He's inviting you to perform an action that will bring you closer to Allah. This is the, the primary duty of the Prophet. This is one of his primary objectives is that he is a guide. He takes people out of dhulumat, he takes people out of darkness into the light. So the question is, why was Uthman so offended by the Prophet's command? It's not that an, any, any, an average person told Uthman to dig. Rasulullah told him to dig. And he took offense to that. Now, some another point that's worth, worthy of mention here is that some have doubted the reliability and the authenticity of this incident between Ammar and Uthman, because they say if you look at the, the words, the poem 
that Uthman recited, he referenced the building of a masjid and the battle of Khandaq, no masjid was being built. They were digging a trench. So they say this is a fabricated story because Ammar and the Muslims, they're building a trench. Why would Ammar say to Uthman, لا يستوي من يعمر المساجد يدأب فيه قائما وقاعدا ومن يرى عن القبار حائدا He is mentioning the building of a masjid. Scholars have responded to this contention by saying that yes, the first one to utter these lines of poetry was Ali ibn Abi Talib when they were building the masjid of the Prophet. Either when they were building Quba or uh, the Masjid of the Prophet. And Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib recited these words to rebuke those who were too lazy to assist, who were just sitting and watching the other Muslims work. So Ammar was basically repeating that line of poetry because he, he thought that this was a suitable time to bring up that poetry and rebuke and admonish those who are being lazy when it comes to the digging of the trench, just like those other Muslims were lazy when it came to the construction of the masjid. Another point to mention here is that Uthman's complaint to the Prophet after Ammar recited those lines of poetry and he took offense to it, the fact that Uthman complained to the Prophet saying that we didn't join Islam to be slandered, it calls into question his motive for converting to Islam. If someone converts to Islam, truly seeking the pleasure of Allah, why would they utter such a statement? That you should welcome any type of difficulty and tragedies as long as you're on the path of the truth. For someone to join Islam with the expectation that I'm not going to experience any type of difficulty or hardship or no one should say anything mean to me is, is a statement that, uh, that really calls into question his motive for converting. In any case, there's a narration here that I want to share that underscores the great patience and the steadfastness of Rasulullah during the digging of the trench. And these narrations are important for us to reflect upon because they show how much the Prophet struggled and how much he endured to protect Islam and the Muslims. And the narration is from Ali ibn Abi Talib where he says, That we were with Rasulullah during the digging of the trench. إِذْ جَاءَتْهُ فَاطِمَةِ When Fatima came, وَمَعَهَا كِسْرَةُ, ومعها كسرة خبز. Fatima brought some pieces of bread. فَدَفَعَتْهَا إِلَى النَّبِيِّ She gave some pieces of bread to the Prophet. وَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ مَا هَذِهِ الْكِسْرَةِ What is this bread? She says, Qursan khabaztuha, that this Fatima says that these pieces of bread, this is bread that I had initially prepared 
to give to Hassan and Hussein, her own children, who were young children. She says, I wanted to give it to them, but I decided to give it to you. The Prophet he says, أَمَا إِنَّهُ أَوَّلُ طَعَامٍ دَخَلَ فَمْ دَخَلَ دَخَلَ فَمَّ أَبِيكِ مُنذُ ثَلَاثٍ The Prophet says to Fatima that this is the first food, these are the first morsels of food that are entering my mouth in three days. The Prophet had not eaten for three days. You know, perhaps there was a shortage of food it seems. So the Prophet did not eat for three days. And look at the the altruism of Lady Fatima And this shows you how great Rasulullah is, how beloved the Prophet is, how important Rasulullah is that Fatima is willing to give priority to her father Rasulullah over her own children. That I am willing to give up the meal of Hassan and Hussein to feed the Prophet So this shows you how much Sayyidah Fatima is willing to sacrifice for the Messenger of God. Ibn Ishaq, he reports that while digging, some of the Sahaba, they uncovered a large rock that no one was able to dislodge. So Rasulullah approaches the boulder and he crushes it with three successive blows. And when the Prophet strikes, a flash of lightning appears from the south, from the north, and from the east. Some narrations say that Salman asked the Prophet about these flashes. And Rasulullah informed them that this is a prophecy, this is a foreshadowing of what will happen in the future that I will conquer, Islam will conquer Yemen to the south, Syria to the north, and Persia to the east. And this is precisely what happens in the coming years. And finally, and inshallah we'll conclude uh, with this, at the end of an exhausting day of labor, now so you can imagine that the Muslims have about 10 days until this massive army arrives. So they have to literally dig day and night. At the end of an exhausting day, Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, he invites the Prophet for dinner. It seems that food there was a food shortage. Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, he comes to the Prophet very quietly, very discreetly, and he says to him, Ya Rasulullah, my wife has prepared some food Come and have some dinner with us. So the Prophet ﷺ, he turned to his other companions who were working, who were also exhausted, and Rasulullah invites all of the Sahaba who were there with him to join him for the meal. So Jabir now is panicking because he doesn't have enough food to feed everybody. He only had enough to feed Rasulullah and to feed uh, and for him and his wife to eat with the Prophet. So when the narration says that when Jabir heard, when Jabir saw that Rasulullah was inviting, he extended the invitation to the other companions. He said, "Inna lillah wa inna ilayhi rajiun," which is typically 
you know, what you say when you are afflicted with a tragedy, with a calamity. And he saw this as a calamity. That how am I going to feed all of these people? I don't have enough food. So the Prophet, he saw that Jabir, his face had changed color. He was concerned. The Prophet ﷺ, he says that, you know, uh, do not tell your wife, do not serve, do not take the food off of the fire until I arrive. And the Prophet ﷺ, he arrives at the house of Jabir. He blesses the food and to the surprise of Jabir and his wife, every single person who entered the house of Jabir for a meal, they were, they were able to eat, their hunger was satiated, and there was no one was left without any food. And this is from the Barakah of Rasulullah Inshallah, in our next episode, we'll speak a little bit more about uh, the, uh, the battle of Khandaq and the arrival of the Allied forces. Until then, my brothers and sisters, uh, I hope that you join me in upcoming episodes of the life of Prophet Muhammad. وآخر دعوانا إن الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وآله الطاهرين.